You have to place a value on it in order to desire to seek after it. If I told all of you here that outside here in the grass, buried not very deep, there's five bars of gold, would you not all have a shovel and go out there and start digging? I would. I'd be the first one out there digging. Okay? That is what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like a treasure that's buried, that when it's found, he, he sold everything. It, he, the cost, he gave everything up to go find it. It's going to cost us something to find the treasures that God has for us. But first, we have to put a value on it. And because you're all here, I believe we've all put a value on it, or you wouldn't be here. You're seeking God. You're following after God. And so there's a value that you've placed on the things of God. Some people, they, they just stay home, you guys. They don't, they don't go outside of any of their comfort zone. There's a lot of Christians, they come, they sit for one day, or they, or they go home, and they don't, they don't continue to get in the Word. They don't continue to do the things going forward in the things of God that make you progress and that give you understanding and revelation. Okay, so let's turn um, uh, to Isaiah 55.1. He says, wait and listen, everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Yes, come, buy priceless spiritual wine and milk without money and without price, simply for the self-surrender that accepts the blessing. And the Lord ministered to me, he says, to wait. If you're thirsty, see, there's a prerequisite to obtaining and receiving what God has. And that is, he says in Matthew, I believe it's 5, 6, he says, he whose hungers and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. So if you're not thirsting or hungering, there's nothing to be filled. You have no desire to be filled. It's like going to a banquet table and you just look at it and you go, well, that looks okay and that just looks all right. I don't really, it's, it, it, nothing floats my boat. Have you ever been at a time where, where it's lunchtime and nothing sounds good? You just don't care. And that's sometimes how we get. But Jesus responds to those that are hungry and those that are thirsty, and those are the ones that he fills. And you will never, ever, ever hunger or thirst spiritually again because there is no end. Now, I want to... Um, I want to talk about here where he says, come buy. He says, come buy without money. What are we buying with? If we're not buying with money and, it's, and we don't have paying price, what are we buying with? Our time. Our time. And that's the biggest cost there is because our time, especially in this state, I know, in this state, everything is faster even than in other states. I, I, uh, I've, just from being in airports, you hear people talk from the Midwest, and you, they're just slow. You just want to help fill in their, their words. <laughs> you know, and they think we talk so fast. And then I met this one guy from um, Australia, and he was laughing because he said he didn't understand why people didn't understand him. And I'm sitting here going, I have no idea what you're saying. I could not understand his English. He spoke faster than us. And it was, I mean, I was like, I was sitting next to Becky, and I was like, I don't want to say anything. I'm just going to pretend like I know what's going on. Because I have no clue what he just said, and he spoke English. It just had, a, it had an accent on it. And then he was talking so fast, I couldn't, I couldn't get it. So we're buying with our time. 
And our time is very precious. It's, it's, a high, it's of high value to us. And Paul said to redeem the time, for the days are evil. How many of you know we're in an evil, evil time? Okay, and it's increasingly getting darker. People are, we've already read stuff in Timothy where he, where he tells us the signs of the times and we are in them. So things are getting darker and our time is very precious to us because it's, things have sped up. And, and when, when, uh, when 9-11 happened, I was looking at the screen and that was, how many years ago was that? Like 11? I think Daniel was one and I was looking at the screen and the Lord said to me, everything is going to speed up now. It's going to speed up now. And if I look back at that time, things have sped up. Things have started to speed up from that time until now. And it keeps going faster and faster. Jesus is coming. He's coming very soon. And the darkness is getting darker. But his glory is going to rise up on the inside of his saints. And he's going to have a people without spot or wrinkle who are, are, whose garments have been cleansed, who are seeking the Lord, who have set themselves apart for him because the time to seek God is right now, not tomorrow, not, not the next day, but the time to seek the Lord is today. And every day we get up, we say, okay, Lord, the time to seek you is today. And we make choices along the way. And our choices have consequences. And even if we can take five minutes to sit, just to sit and get quiet, Everything is screaming at us. There's billboards everywhere. There's, uh, there's loud music everywhere you go. You can't go to a restaurant without sitting and having this loud music. You can't even hardly talk to the person across from you. And then when you go on vacation, it takes three days just to come down and relax. And the Lord wants us to be able to sit with him and to get quiet because in the quietness, then he begins to speak and he begins to draw here. And he draws us into his presence, and he puts a hunger and a thirst on the inside of us. And the minute you do that, it's like taking one of these coins. It's like taking one of these coins. When I get saved, I may have this right here. Because I had to have a revelation hit me to get saved, right? So I received a piece of the treasure of the kingdom of God. And I have a piece of revelation. But as I seek God, then he gives me another one and another one. And, and there's no end to these coins, you guys. They don't end, okay? They keep going. Treasure in the natural realm, wealth in the natural will end. If I find a treasure, I could take all this gold and I could spend it all. And what will I have to show for it? Maybe a house, some nice things. Uh, uh, I, maybe I bought some people some stuff because I felt guilty because I had money, whatever. You know, I got boats. I have all this stuff to show for it. But there's an end to the wealth of this world. And the wealth of Jesus has absolutely no end. There's no end to it. But this is how God is. He says, I am more than enough. So if I just get saved... And I have only this right here. This is all I have. It's all I ever have. This is more than enough. And I can go out and preach on this. It's more than enough. If all I know is Jesus saved my soul and he delivered me from darkness into light, I could preach and evangelize the entire world with this one coin of revelation. But he doesn't want us to stop there. 
He wants us to seek him because he wants to. How many of you guys have kids that you want to pour out everything you have on them? All the love you have, and then we pour out all the riches that we have on them. Sometimes we shouldn't, but we do because we want them to be blessed. How much more does the Lord want to pour out upon us the treasures of heaven so that we have understanding of who he is and we walk in that revelation? Okay, so there's, he's more than enough. Even if I had one little piece of this coin, he, it would be more than enough. And yet he wants to give us even more. And he wants to pour out even more. Amen? Okay, let's go to... Um, Let's go to Song of Solomon 2, verse 1 through 3. You know, um, talking about value, when we place a value on something, then we consider it and we go after it. Like, my husband is, is now, he had to go to Colorado. I just dropped him off for depositions, but of course he loves to ski. So he's going to stay two extra days so he can ski because that's value to him. I could, I don't care. If I ever ski, I ski for him. So he has a place to value on that. And so it's a high priority for him to add that into his life. And people have value in our lives also. If I, if I had to place a value on the people here, let's say everybody is a one coin value, okay? Because I know you, right? Let me grab some of these. Okay, I know everybody here, right? Okay. But I can't take this with me, guys. Okay, everybody's a one-coin value because I know you because I go to church with you, okay? But I spend more time with Julia, so she's maybe two coins, okay? And I'm not going to throw these, but because Kate and Chris and Cruz are part of my family, they might be four coins, okay? And, and there's Jeannie back there. I, I know her, and so she might be five coins, four coins, three coins, whatever it is. What makes them have more value? The time that I spend with them. Because I know all of you from being here, but if I sit with you, Mary, if I sit with you and I have communion with you, then you're going to have, you're going to be a double coin, baby. You're going to graduate up there for me. Does that make sense? And then I learn to trust. I learn to trust you because I know you. And I learn, to, I learn what you like. I learn what you don't like. I learn what makes you happy. I learn what your favorite color is. These are all the things that, that it takes to be with. When you're with Jesus, you learn all that. When you sit with him and you sup with him, you learn what he likes. You learn what he looks at and, and how he sees. And you begin to remove the, things, the scales off of your eyes, and you see things the way he sees things. You see people the way he sees them. Sometimes I, when I'm out in, and about, I'll look at people and I'll see them like a little kid, just like a little kid. And then I have this overwhelming love for them, even though they're not a little kid. It's harder to love people that are unlovely. But when I see them and I picture them as a little kid, and I see that they've been through pain, I can pour out love to them. I see them the way Jesus sees them. Okay, let's turn over there to Song of Solomon. Are you guys there? Am I, is this making sense? Okay, good. Chapter 2, verse 1. 
She said, I am only a little rose or autumn crocus of the plain of Sharon. Wait, yes, okay. Or a humble lily of the valleys that grows in deep and difficult places. But Solomon replied, as the lily among thorns, so are you, my love, among the daughters. As an apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved shepherd among the sons, cried the girl. Under his shadow I delighted to sit, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. For for love waved as a protecting and comforting banner over my head when I was near him. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. So she sat, she delighted to sit under his, the shadow of his, like he was a tree, and his fruit was sweet to, to the taste. Psalm 34, 8. And this is the scripture he gave me that as I studied, he, he showed me the rest of this. But he says, O oh, taste and see that the Lord our God is good. Blessed, happy, fortunate, and to be envied is the man who trusts and takes refuge in him. And he said, taste and see. You cannot see until you taste. You have to taste something, and then you go, wow, isn't that awesome? If I tell you right now that uh, you guys don't know what kind of chocolate this is, right? This could be the cheap junk that's $1.75 that you get that's waxy, correct? Or it could be the really good stuff from Seas Candy. But until you taste it, you guys aren't going to know. Isn't that true? You're not going to know. So you taste it, and your eyes are opened. When you sit with God and you taste of the word, and you taste of his presence, there's a revelation that happens, and you begin to see his word. You begin to see and have understanding of, of the plan that he has for your life. You see, I can have this right here. As my portion. I can have this. When you're saved, you have a kingdom that is a treasure of God that he's given to you. He has given it unto you. But if I don't taste it, I'm never going to see. I can be saved my whole life and be walking around this treasure and say, isn't that nice? Isn't that so pretty? Don't we do that? Don't we do that with his word? We put it on a little shelf and isn't that a pretty Bible? That's an old Bible my grandma had. Isn't it pretty? It has a lot of writing in here that I didn't write. And we walk around it, and we never come to an understanding or a revelation of what God has truly given us and what price he truly paid, what it is he purchased. And with that, I want to I share uh, about his portion. Deuteronomy 32.9. If you guys don't want to go there, I can just read it. For the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob. Israel is the lot of his inheritance. Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8. For you are a holy and set-apart people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a special people unto himself out of all the people on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you and choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the fewest. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondage from the land of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Psalm 135, 4. 
For the Lord has chosen the descendants of Jacob for himself, for Israel is, is his peculiar possession and treasure. So he is, we are his treasure. You have the kingdom of God that's a treasure. And he says, when he sat with the woman at the well, what did he say? The kingdom of God has come nigh unto you this day. That means the power of God has come unto you this day. And it was the power of God that gave her revelation that he was the Christ. And she went back and she preached into her own village. Okay? And she went and told what happened. That is the power of God. Now, we are his treasure. What did he do? He considered us of such high value that he sent his one and only son. His one and only son that he had to come here to die. Actually, he came on the earth and he became like a man. He, he humbled himself to be like a man. Here is the king of all the earth, created the heavens and the earth with his father and the Holy Spirit. And he came to the earth so that we could be elevated up. He says he, he bows down. I love this scripture. It's in Psalms 18. He says, he bows low to make us great. He bows low to make us great. He considered you of value. And so he sent his son to redeem you. And in Ezekiel, the scripture describes what Satan was like. And it's, he's talking about the king of, of Tyre, but, but in that portion of scripture, but in there he is a glimpse of who Satan is. And he says that Satan had pipes within him. He had musical instruments within him. He had all kinds of beautiful uh, jewels all about him. And it says he was the anointed cherub that covereth, right? That he walked amongst the stones. He walked in the, he was in the very holy presence of God where the throne was, where the coals of fire were. And he was the anointed cherub that covereth. You know what I think of? I think of the angels that covered the ark. Or he could have been an angel that had a lot of other angels underneath him, which he probably did because he had a high rank. But a cherub covered. And it, he, it was, a cherub was a high-powered angel. Okay, an archangel like Gabriel or Michael, they were chief angels. And some people say that, Satan or Lucifer was a chief angel. But when I read this, the Lord said to me, he was the anointed cherub that covered. What does he do now? He, bl- he is the, the prince of the power of the air that blinds the minds of them that cannot see, lest the glorious gospel come through to them. And when we were not saved, we had a covering over our eyes. And God began to speak, and when we responded, it was broken. It was broken. And when we pray for people and we pray in tongues and we don't know what we're praying for, you're sometimes breaking those things so people can see and then choose. I choose Jesus. Because if you can't see, you can't choose. I don't think there would be, maybe there would. I can't imagine somebody who would really have understanding of who Jesus is to reject him. That is so, so opposite of what I could even imagine to just say, oh, no, I don't want that. Okay, people don't know. But see, he's the anointed cherub that covereth. He's still covering. He's still trying to blind us. He doesn't want you to know who you are in Christ. He doesn't want you to know that this treasure is sitting here. This treasure is sitting here for you to have to understand everything in this book belongs to us. This is our heritage. He said, he said that we are his lot. In, in the time of Israel, when they came into their land, they were apportioned a lot. 
or a specific piece of land. And the Levites were the ones, their portion was God. They were the priestly line, okay? Jesus says to us, or God said to them, you are my portion, not because you're great, because you're the least among all the people, but because I have loved you. Okay, we're grafted in to that. He has chosen us. We are his peculiar people, not because we're great, because he looked down and Jesus came and he delivered us and he brought us up so that we could have communion with the Father. Okay, now we are his portion, his lot, and now he is ours. Psalm 16, 5 and 9 through 9. The Lord is my chosen and my assigned portion, my cup. You hold and maintain my lot. The lines are fallen for me in pleasant places. Chris, the lines are fallen for you in pleasant places. I have made no mistake in your life. I have planned your life, says the Lord. The road that you have ahead ahead of you has been marked by me, says the Lord, and it is a road that is blessed. It is full of blessing, and you will begin to see more and more and more rain come your way, says the Lord, for I am making a way for you where there is no way, says the Lord, and though you have had times of weariness, and though you have wanted to faint you have kept going and I say unto you my daughter I am well pleased you have seen nothing yet take hope and know that I am with you and that I am at your right hand says the Lord and do not waver for my hand is resting upon you and I am leading and guiding you in the way of truth amen the lines are fallen for me in pleasant places yes I have a good heritage I bless the Lord who has given me counsel. Yes, my heart instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory, my inner self rejoices, and my body too shall rest and confidently dwell in safety. That's a scripture right there for people when you can't sleep. My body will have rest. You can claim that. He says he... He has chosen and assigned my portion and my cup, and he holds and maintains my lot. What you have right now, you have because God has opened his hand and has given it to you. And if you don't have something, it's because God has not opened his hand and given it to you. He withholds no good thing from us. Amen? And so if we don't have what we think we should have, it's because right now it may not be good for you to have. And the world runs after things, things that are temporal, things that, that, that are uh, um, pleasing to the eye, pleasing to the fleshly man. But the Lord's ways are not our ways. His ways are higher. And so when we sit with him and we begin to worship him, we, under, our, we get the mind of Christ and we see what his ways are. And you have a glimpse and you go, oh, it's okay. It's okay. What's happening in my life right now, it's okay. And to be content where we're at because godliness with contentment is great gain. And so if he hasn't opened his hand, maybe it's not time for us to have it. And I don't know who that's for, but I know that's for somebody. So he is our portion and he is our lot and he is our heritage. And he has purchased and paid a price on the cross not just so that we can say, woohoo, we're saved. 
Although that's awesome. We're going to heaven, you guys. We're in eternity right now. We are going to heaven. One, it's so weird to think that. One day we're going to not be here and we're going to be in heaven. Isn't that trip you out? We're going to be in heaven. You know, you say it, but if you really dwell on it, it sort of blows your mind. But we're in eternity right now, and the enemy wants to take our lives and just go, this is all you can do. You can't do much more than that. Here's your little world. You don't have the power to get out of this. You can't pray for that person. No, and for, for however many years you are old, he has been working on you working on you because he hates you. He hates me. He doesn't want us to get a revelation when we spend time with the treasure of the kingdom of heaven and we spend time in his presence and we begin to understand what our heritage is and what he really purchased for us. He purchased a way to walk in this earth the way he walked. He didn't have any sin. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to have sin because we are sinners until we get to heaven. We are not going to have our glorified bodies. But he made a way so that we could say, Lord, and cry out to him and ask him for the grace of God and the ability to do whatever he sets our hand to do. So if he's telling you to go out and evangelize a whole block, then he's going to give you the ability to do it. And he'll show you those people that need to come around you and you to pull them into it. Because time is short, and what God has given us, we need to do it. We need to just do it and quit talking about it, quit arguing with God that we're not good enough, arguing with him that we can't speak good enough, that we can't, uh, I don't know, whatever it is that you guys would say or that I would say is an excuse, it's not an excuse. Jesus paid the price for us to walk in the call that he has for us to walk in, and that is what he wants us to do. Amen? Okay, so... Now, I want to read, so he is our portion, we are his portion, and and, uh, now where, okay, Matthew 6, 21, what does he say? He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. If God calls us his treasure, where is God's heart? With us. His heart is with us. He's for us. He's, the, he's our greatest cheerleader. He is cheering us on in everything, he, everything that we do that he wants us to do to accomplish. He's cheering us on. And now I want to talk about um, Hosea 10, 12, because this scripture he gave me for this year, if I can find Hosea, it's one of those books that disappears. But if you have tabs like I do, you know. Tabs are of the Lord. <laughs> Verse uh, to Isaiah ten twelve, And he says, Sow for yourselves according to righteousness, uprightness and right standing with God. Reap according to mercy and loving kindness. Break up your uncultivated ground. For it is time to seek the Lord, to inquire for and of him, and to require his favor until he comes and teaches you righteousness and rains his righteous gift of salvation upon you. Break up your fallow ground because it's time to seek the Lord until he rains righteousness down upon you. So he says, break up your fallow ground. What is fallow ground? Who, who, Joaquin, don't you know about planting and stuff? A little bit? Follow ground is, isn't that, that the ground that you let, you let sit, right? And it, needs, it, and it has to be broken up. 
you let it rest. And then it has the former and the latter rain. The former rain is to help break up the, the ground, and the latter rain is to bring the harvest because it's ready to come forth. Okay, so he's telling us to break up the fallow ground, and we all have some fallow ground in our lives somewhere. Some places that need to be broke up. Some places that need to, we need to just kind of give a kick to and say, get in gear. Amen? And we do it until what? He rains righteousness down, till he brings the rain. It's a persistence in God. A lot of people give up. They don't keep going. They just give up and they faint. And then when you give up and faint, you're, you don't just sit still, you guys. You're actually going back. You end up going backward. We should always be in a forward motion in God. There should always be living water coming out of us because living, living water dwells in us and we quit seeking God. Then that water stops the flow and it becomes stagnant and stagnant water becomes poison to others who drink it. That's a heavy one, huh? Matthew 7, 7. Let me read that. Everybody knows this. Okay. Keep on asking, it will be given to you. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking reverently, and the door will be opened. For everyone who keeps on asking receives, and he who keeps on seeking finds, and to him who keeps on knocking, it will be opened. I looked up those words in the Webster's Dictionary. And ask means to say something in order to obtain an answer or for some information. It's not like Lord, you're asking a question to the Lord, and you're, you're asking it into the air. You're asking. This is asking in order to receive something back. That is the purpose. To seek is an attempt or desire to find something. So you're seeking as if you're going to find something. If I'm seeking for, I don't know, a lost item in my house, if I really don't care about that item, I'm not going to seek so hard. But if I really want that item, I'm going to seek until I find that baby, right? Knock. To strike a surface noisily, to attract attention, especially when waiting to be let in a door. Julia, come answer the door. Oh, she must not be there. Oh, well, I don't know. Julia, answer the door, Julia. This is how God wants us to knock. Until he opens to us. Until he opens to us. And you know what? He's standing there. He wants us to knock. He wants us to ask. This isn't something that he doesn't want us to do. He's not trying to hold anything back. He wants to answer us. He, but you know what? He wants to be sought. When, you, when we are dating, when you have a man, or if you're a woman, you have a man pursuing you, you want them to pursue you. And then you kind of back away a little sometimes, right? If in case they settle down, you want them to pursue even harder. Then you kind of, you know, oh, oh, just pretend like you didn't see. So then they pursue harder. That's what God wants from us. He wants us to seek him. And I think sometimes he seems far away because he wants us to pursue harder. He wants us to run harder. He wants us to ask more. He wants us to knock harder. Revelations. 320. That's like when you knock on somebody's door and you know they're there and they're not answering. 
Don't you? Doesn't that make you mad? <laughs> that makes me mad. I'll just, uh, I went that, it was Kim actually. I was knocking and I knew she was in there. I could see her a little bit. And so I kept knocking. She wouldn't come. So I pounded on the window. <laughs> she finally came. <laughs> says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears and listens to and heeds my voice and opens a door, I will come into him and will eat with him and he shall eat with me. Okay? If anyone hears and listens, that's two different things. To hear somebody but really listen to what they're saying, two different things. My kids hear me all the time, but they're not listening because they don't do what I say. So then I have to kind of, you know, get right here, right here. Look in my eyes, and then I know, now I'll repeat what I said. Now I know you understand, so if you don't do it, you're busted, right? And heeds my voice, because sometimes we hear. We can hear what the word says, but we don't do it. If we don't do it, then we're not, we're not really acting on his word. And he says, if you love me, you know, we always flippantly say, Jesus, I love you. But he says, if you love me, you'll do what I say. You'll obey my words. That's how you show that you love God. It's like that love language. You know, when that love language thing came out, I, uh, I don't like all that stuff. But, you know, people do that little love language test, and then it pegs you. Have you heard of that? What's your love language? And then, like, is it words? Is it, like, Stuart did it. He's, he's our, so you guys all know. Just give him acclamation words. He loves that. It makes it. Some people it's gifts. Some people it's time spent with them. You know, I'm time spent with, and I told, I told him, I said, I said, I'm a Klingon from Star Trek because I'm, I cling on. I'm not going to let go. You know, I do. I'm Klingon. I'm a Klingon. He didn't know that. He wanted attention. He didn't know I was going to be a Klingon, but you know what? You got what you got. <laughs> so, but God's love, you know, so we got to ask the Lord, what's your love language, Lord? Well, obeying him. That's what shows him that we really love him. Yeah, it's absolutely, it's the most important thing. Yes. No. Exactly. Even on purpose. Even when you don't feel like it. it. When you know here that it's the right thing, you know in the word he's telling you something and you know it's the right thing, and you go, I don't want to do it. I really don't want to do it. And you do it anyway. You make yourself do it. That is showing God how much you love him. And you trust him. And if you fall on your face and look like a a foolish to the world, he uses the foolish things to confound the wise. He uses those things. And I guarantee you, if you step out and do that and do what he tells you, you you will not go back. You will not be. You will be excited to do it again and again and again. Peter walked on the water. He's the only one that did it. And we can say, well, he sunk. Yeah, he did. But he walked on water. He, he walked on water. Who can say they walked on water? Amen? So he stands at the door, and he's knocking. He says, if you hear my voice, you heed my voice, and opens a door. You have to, it's a physical action. You have to get in here and open. This is a door. Open the door. I will come to him, and I will eat with him, and he shall eat with me. And I think... I think the other, the King James or the other version says, I will sup with him. And in, in the Roman times, to have communion and to sup with somebody wasn't like we do where we sit around a table. They had, they had reclining, like, 
lounge chairs. They were there for the day. They were eating for the day. They were communing. They were talking. They were partaking of that other person's life, and that was for, for a long time. And so he says, I'm standing, and, and this is to believers, you guys. This isn't just to unsaved. We think this is for unsaved people, that he's standing at the door. You know that little, that little Jesus picture, that Catholic Jesus thing with the little window, and Jesus is knocking? He's knocking, uh, uh, he's knocking upon our hearts, and he's saying, if you will heed my voice, if you will listen and do what I say and open this door, I will come in. I will sup with you. You will never be the same. I guarantee you will never be the same. And that little piece of gold coin, that one piece that you have when you're saved because you had a revelation that he is the savior of the world and he saved you, that one coin will turn into two, will turn into three, will turn into four. And then when people get around you, they're going to see the riches that you have. They're going to know it. They're going to see the light of Jesus that's on the inside. You have put in there and your rewards are in heaven. Zacchaeus was a man, and I'll close with this. He was a short man. I picture him short and maybe a little balding. I don't know why. I just do. Do you do that when you read about different people in the Bible? Peter. Peter was, to me, was rugged and had a lot of hair. I don't know. Zacchaeus was short. We know that. In my book, he wasn't. He was balding. And then he, <laughs> okay. He had a little glimpse of Jesus from far away, right? He heard about him. He was curious, but he couldn't see because he was too short, and it was too big of a crowd. So what does he do? He goes running ahead. I'm going to run ahead. He was thirsty enough to run ahead. He ran ahead. He climbs a tree. Okay, a tree, he's up here. We're walking down here. Jesus is walking down here. What does he do? Oh, Hi, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. You know what he responded to? Out of that entire crowd of people, Jesus responded to his thirst, his hunger, and he was going to satisfy it. This is a man who was a tax collector that nobody liked, who probably stole money that it wasn't his. And when he went to his house and he supped with Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus repented. He gave back all of what he stole, and he was radically saved. That's the kind of God we serve when we sit with him and we take time. We learn what the Word of God says, and in that, we find repentance, we find deliverance, not just one time, over and over and over again. Amen.